all hits all the time. We are family. double-digit K's. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast from the Mass and Newsroom. I am Bobby Blanco, now joined by Amy Jennings, who I'm sure you have seen throughout Mass and National's uh, social media accounts and her packages across. She's been doing a great job behind the scenes for us for the past couple of years. And I'm excited to introduce her as my new co-host on the Mass and All Access podcast. Amy, thanks for, so much for joining. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk about real baseball. I know. We've got a full, <laughs> full week of baseball in. We'll, of course, touch on that uh, coming up. I also t- chatted with Mark Zuckerman. That'll be at later half of the show. Uh, but Amy, first, I want to get an introduction uh, to you, so our viewers and listeners know. I mean, again, like I mentioned, if if you've been paying attention to Mass and Nationals, um, so a lot of our packages on All Access on our social media have been produced by you and hosted by you. Uh, you're a local gal. You have done great work. You're also a fellow Terp. I'm so happy to have a fellow Maryland graduate in this newsroom because I've been working with Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen behind the scenes, both Syracuse grads. We've had so many Syracuse interns the past couple of years, I'm finally happy to have a Terp join me. I know. We need more uh, Maryland representation in here. These Syracuse guys got to get out. The yeah. Orangemen. Uh, yeah, we had an old little uh, auto in yes. our old web studio. He, like, and hung up on, like, in, on a light or something somewhere. Yeah. I was all talked to. I never actually got a Testudo. To hunt. I was like, I'll get a Testudo. We need it in here. Perfect. New yeah, space, new studio. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so uh, throughout the season, Amy's going to be helping me host the uh, All Access podcast from here on out, and hopefully throughout the offseason as well, uh, we get her more involved into this show. Um, so be sure to give her a follow on Twitter, too, at Amy Jennings News. Uh, she'll be providing a lot of updates and helping with our Nationals coverage throughout this shortened season. Um, all right, Amy, it's been a hectic start to baseball, obviously. Everything from the Marlin situation last weekend uh, to now this morning, the Cardinals having two players tested positive. We won't have to go – let's not go too deep into – uh, what it means for baseball as a whole, but let's we want to talk about first how this has affected the Nationals, um, not just the schedule changing, but also some of the new rules that have taken place. You did a great package on opening day, uh, how the DH will affect the Nationals this season, so we can chat about that. And then later on, we'll get to some quick reactions, maybe some overreactions. It's only been a couple of seven, seven games, I believe, yeah, and one week of baseball. Um, so we can see what we've seen on the field so far. But, Amy, first and foremost, just obviously the Juan Soto fiasco from last week. Um, now that this Nationals, all three of their games uh, that was scheduled to be played this weekend have been postponed. Uh, they get four days off after four days against the, the Blue Jays. It's just been a wild ride this week, not just for the Nationals, but all of baseball. Right. But, I mean, I think we knew it was going to be crazy, but I didn't think we would know it would spiral out of control it, change so quickly daily, right? Like, we knew the Nationals were going to play this week and earlier this week, but then today we found out that 20% of Major League Baseball isn't playing today. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's a I Friday, mean, too. Right. We're a week into the season. I thought things would get a little crazy. We knew p- players were going to test positive. We knew games were going to get postponed. But 20% of MLB not playing today, that's kind of kind of crazy a week into the season. Yeah, I mean, when you think about baseball – 
like you can count on sure there are off days throughout the the year on you know usually can maybe Monday or Tuesday maybe play a weird two game series a Thursday but you can always count on Friday through Sunday there being weekend baseball that's like almost what baseball fans schedule the weekends around and now for Nationals fans there's nothing going on I mean there's right. just you have to watch some other team you have to maybe go out and do something, even though the weather's supposed to be pretty bad this weekend. It's just kind of th thrown up in the air. And I think for baseball fans, you really have to just kind of be flexible. I mean, obviously the league is being flexible. I don't think they were as clear as they are making it seem they were that this is, was going to be how they, they're like, oh, yeah, we we're prepared. We're ready to go. I don't think it's been that clear from the start that this was the plan all along. I don't, obviously, you don't plan. Um, for players to test positive and for games to be postponed, that's not the ideal situation. But it seems like they, they being Major League Baseball front office, being like, hey, we knew this was going to happen. We're prepared for it. But then you see the Marlins show up on Sunday, have three players test positive, and be like, yeah, we'll still play. And then they put a whole team and whole city at risk, and the whole East Coast may be at risk. Um, so I think it's been a little more hectic uh, maybe than we anticipated. I think also with the – Baseball being the first team to get started. We saw the NBA start last night. We saw NHL get their exhibition games underway in the past couple of days. I think baseball being their first regular season to start has put a microscope on them, and then it's not right. being handled pretty well. Yeah, I can tell you I'm happy I'm not the person in charge right now. Like, right. I, I think they're just going, taking it day by day, you know, postponing series here, trying to reschedule them later, but who knows how that's going to shake out. Um so it's 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 going to be a crazy season. I'm happy I'm not in charge. But yeah. I think they're, you know, obviously they couldn't prepare for this. They have no idea which players are going to test positive, which teams are going to, you know, have outbreaks. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows indeed. And I, it seems like I don't even know if baseball and uh, local authorities know what the deal is. Cause well, we see that with Juan Soto. Exactly right? my point. Yeah, let's talk about Juan Soto real quick. I mean – Sure, he shows up, and we come to know now that it's probably, probably, I'm not saying definitely, probably a false positive test. So that's fine. That's going to happen. Uh, they've they've admitted that test, their testing isn't flawless, and nor should it be. It's, it's kind of crazy to expect that it would be. But, I mean, the whole thing was confusing because he was at home taking his, let's call them take-home tests, right? Plenty of negatives. We know those don't officially count toward his eligibility to return to play uh, according to MLB's protocols. But then he gets his two MLB tests 24 hours apart, both negative. But then the city of D.C. says, no, wait, you have to stay in place for 10 days. I don't remember that ever being brought up before Juan Soto's no. case. That I think I remember Mike Rizzo saying that, yes, we have this protocol from MLB and we have our own as an organization, but the city of D.C., our own local government, supersedes everything. We have to listen to them, which is fair. I mean, that, that's it's, right. it's a health pandemic. But I don't remember that ever being the case where if you test positive, false or not, you have to stay in place for 10 days. And that was seemed, that seemed to slip through the cracks, and people weren't ready for that. And I don't think the Nationals were prepared either because they were expecting him after his two negative tests, to be ready to play this week. Right. I mean, originally when he first tested positive, everybody was like, you know what? Once he gets cleared by the MLB when he has those two negative tests, and now all of a sudden, well, wait, we have to worry about DC's restrictions. And I don't – maybe we didn't really realize. You know, maybe it wasn't brought up because that's changing day by day, you know. Some states are putting restrictions on travel, and teams have to worry about that now on top of everybody else's. Uh, restrictions. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how 
other teams in other states how their rules work, right? Yeah. So once they get cleared by MLB, so then what happens? Do different states have different rules as far as the when they can get cleared? I don't know. So yeah. I think it's also interesting too, like now that you mention it, the two teams that have had serious outbreaks, them being the Marlins and the Cardinals, the Cardinals are the only two players so far as we know, but the Marlins specifically, they were on the road when they tested positive. Exactly. So they were in other cities. So like I'm going to ask Mark Zuckerman, you know, what happens because I don't know, I'm not familiar with Philadelphia and how they're handling this pandemic and how their numbers look in terms of cases. But if I'm the mayor of Philadelphia and the Marlins came to play the Phillies and then they knew they had positive cases and they decided to play anyways, I'd be pretty pissed. I'd be like, we've worked so hard to get these case numbers down, I'm assuming. Um, and we now you're just putting everyone, our, our home team at risk, our whole city at risk, uh, just for playing a sport. And then we also saw that MLB was trying to send the Marlins, the healthy Marlins, down to Baltimore to play the Orioles in place of this week. And we pretty much saw the state of Maryland say, no, not so fast. You're not coming here. Uh, that's, never, that's not going to be the case. We've worked hard to get our numbers down too. So I, I, and then now the Cardinals, I think they contracted it on the road. They're supposed to head to Milwaukee this weekend. We already know their game on Friday is postponed. And they will play Saturday on doubleheader on Sunday. What happens, like, are those players, are those teams going to be allowed to return home? Like, what happens when Miami goes back to Miami, exactly. a hotbed of, of coronavirus Or, like, cases? New York has put so many uh, states on restriction. Like, Maryland, you travel from Maryland to New York, you have to quarantine for two weeks. Right. So, what do the Yankees do when they come home or if, That's you know, point. anybody tests positive there? So, hopefully not, you know, fingers crossed. Um, Will the Mets come to D.C. next weekend or next yeah. week? Yeah. So, you know, what happens there? I don't know, but... It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I'm just, what I'm curious about, obviously nobody, you know, could foresee this happening. They had to know pe players were going to test positive. But, you know, they expanded that 60-player pool, you know, thinking that this was going to happen. But now they're, you know, postponing games or, you know, postponing seasons, yeah. like in the case of the Marlins. So I wonder if, you know, when, that, when we're going to see that come into effect, you know, when we're going to see them, you know, swap out players really use that player pool. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, let's also get into some of the rule changes because you mentioned the scheduling and the roster size. We know that they're at 30. Um, there has been talk about expanding the deadline for when you have to cut that down to 28, um, specifically because of the Marlins. More than half their team has tested positive now, and they're scrambling to sign free agents to fill out a major league roster. That's the other thing, too. It's like the level of baseball is going to plummet because – if they can't sign free agents, I mean, if I'm a free agent too and the Marlins come knocking, I'm like, I'm not going to go join your clubhouse. I mean, you not guys right just now. had an outbreak. <laughs> yeah, so then you bring up a bunch of minor leaguers who aren't ready to play and they're, they're going to get crushed uh, by anyone who they play uh, in, in the major league. So it's all about not just fielding a team, but a quality team that can play competitively because that affects not just health-wise, but like standings and, and league-wise, the whole league. You know what I'm saying? Like, It could have an an effect on an entire organization. Right. It starts at the top and then it trickles down and trickles down and trickles down. So, and, well, then you also like say the Marlins did end up going to play the Orioles, but they couldn't field a major. And the Orioles are a rebuilding team who was, didn't figure to contend this year, who if they win like six straight against the Marlins, they're in first place in their division because they basically played a double A team. We knew this, this season was going to be more even teams like the Orioles were going to stay in it longer. Right. But maybe this, you know, teams having outbreaks keeps 
teams like the Orioles didn't even longer. Even like longer. that, I could totally see that happening. Yeah, totally see. That's not you know necessarily a positive thing because of course, terrible that these players have corona, but right, that has a whole another layer of effect on yeah on the season and and evening out. Well, the weekend schedule for the Nationals, like I mentioned earlier, has been postponed. Um, we'll get into that. That's that's kind of one of my um, overreactions or. Quick reactions, I should, I should call them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the opposite of overreaction is. I'm guessing underreaction. Underreact. I never really s- hear people say that, though. No. So it makes me, it makes me <laughs> wary of using that word. We're going to start it. Um, but let's get to some baseball rule changes, like on the field stuff. Uh, the universal DH. Like I mentioned earlier, you did a great package for Mass and All Access on opening day about how the universal DH will affect the Nationals. You didn't really take a stance if it would benefit or hurt them. Um, a week into it, We've seen now seven games with the Nationals using a DH. How do you foresee, or how have you seen so far, it affecting the team uh, that's used to having their pitchers hit? Well, we've only seen one extra base hit from that DH spot. So, so far, hasn't had a huge influence on this lineup that needs it, right? They need hitters. They need to score runs. Um, I especially saw it, you know, it, it would affect this bullpen, right? A bullpen that that was weak last year, struggled, struggled the entire season. So, you know, I don't know. It's We're going to see how it shakes out, but right now we, we know they need to hit. We know they need to score runs, um, and hopefully that DH spot will help. Um, we think it's going to be Thames and Howie. Um, hopefully Howie can stay healthy. That works perfect because they both need to play first base. That's a safe spot for them. Defensively, they swap in and out between that DH spot and first base. I think that'll work work out well well for them. But we've seen them mix some other guys in there, especially this week in the first week of the season. Yeah, so far only seven games. Howie Kendrick, Carter Keboom, Eric Thames, as Drubal Cabrera, and then Josh Harrison making his debut yesterday for the Nationals are the only ones who have batted in the DH spot. Collectively, they're hitting 136 in that spot, um, which is kind of funny because uh, Carter Keboom. Currently leads the Nationals in an average. I think he's hitting 444. Uh, only less games, obviously, but he's had a really good end to the week. So, but Eric Thames, I think, is someone that they really need to step up and and get into groove because I, I remember, you know, Eric Thames is the, the guy that they're filling into the Matt Adams, um, the Adam Lind role, exactly, the left-handed yep. power backup first baseman. And I recall, you know, early on in past seasons, that role would always kind of start out hot. I mean, I look back to, I think Adam Lynn hit the game-winning RBI double on opening day in 2016. Uh, Matt Adams, I feel like he would hit a handful of homers to start the season and then cool off as he played less throughout the rest of the season. I know it's a different season, obviously, right now, but Mm -hmm. Eric Thames has yet to do real damage. I think he's only recorded one or two RBIs um, at first base. Howie Kendrick going down obviously hurts, and, of course, they miss Ryan Zimmerman, but, I mean, no one's going to blame him for sitting out. Uh, with his family situation. But it's, it's, I think it also kind of forced Mike Rizzo's hand, and we saw Josh Harrison signing this week because with with Howie out, they really only have one true third first baseman on the roster, and that's Eric Thames, um, who also needs to serve as a DH role. So who do you throw in that role? Well, they try to use Astrubal Cabrera at first base at times. Um, he could also DH the one game he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to ease Carter Keboom, who's looked more comfortable at the plate. Uh, but he also needs practice in the field as well at third base. So I think until they get a full idea of how Howie Kendrick's injury is going to affect him long term, they're kind of in a tough spot right now, and they're really going to need to rely on on Thames to kind of step up to the plate. 
sorry for the po- terrible pun, but mm. and 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 knocks. I mean, we need to see him go yard. We need to see him hit a, a, a monster home run to feel more comfortable about him being in the lineup every right. day. They need those power bats. I mean, they're giving up home runs. They need to hit some, right? Right. Yeah, and with the, bo- the way the ball's flying out of Nationals Park this first week of the season, it, it's kind of a shame that he hasn't been able to get a hold of one. Maybe pitchers are being extra cautious because they know if he swings and gets a piece of it, it's gone. But but they are pitching them like you saw early on. You know, they were putting Howie on to get to him right. and striking him out. The Yankees did, you know. Yeah, so, so they know they're not too afraid of him. But, you know, he We he want them to be, he right? To, right, right. Um, another w- any, um, weird rule change this week was the extra – we got saw it firsthand – uh, for the first time was the extra inning rule of starting the extra inning with a runner on first base, uh, excuse me, second base um, in Wednesday's win against the Blue Jays. A great start by Max Scherzer. It was a shame that the Nationals couldn't add on runs earlier um, in the game, but it goes to a scoreless, scoreless tie into the 10th inning. But the Nationals end up piling on four runs in that top of the 10th as the road team in their home ballpark. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I l- I'm not for or against this rule change. I understand it. It makes more sense in the minor leagues, and it makes sense to implement in a season like this, a shortened season. Uh, You don't want players in there for too long, uh, there being the stadium and around each other. Um, It adds some drama, but I think it really heavily favors the visiting team. They get first crack at it. It's kind of like um, when you go first in um, uh, Cornhole. It's like <laughs> you're kind of playing from behind. Yeah. Uh, yep. If you're if you're going second, you're kind of like you trying to chip away, right? Right. You're more playing defense because you're trying to like knock the other player off as opposed to attacking and trying to add more points. Were you surprised that you know going into that tenth inning they didn't bunt? I'm trying to remember the situation. I I know um, I remember who Bonifacio was on second, but who was at bat start? They were. Um. Uh, yes. Yeah. Answer anyway, your question. Yes. Yeah. Because ends up loading the bases and the two strikeouts and then you know two outs, bases loaded. Going into that inning, they were 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. That yeah. Day. Wednesday. Right. 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. Um. But yes, I am surprised because I think, uh, I mean, it, it's a different league with the designated hitter. But that's been kind of the Nationals. They like to play small ball at times, especially at the top of the lineup. Right. I don't think it was Adam. Now, I know Davy said you know it's the first time. You know, we're going into extras. Let's see. Let's see what we can do. I don't yeah. want to go right out there and bunt, but, you know, you have a runner in scoring position. You know you weren't bringing them in all day. I don't know. MLB's website is not my favorite right now because it is difficult yeah. to navigate. Um, but, yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, it, it's, and we'll be, it'll be interesting to see around the league how teams approach that strategy with a runner on second. Do they bunt? I mean, especially with traditional American League teams, you are – you probably built for power you probably won't see them bunt Mm -hmm. but even with national league teams who now have a dh they still are accustomed to playing small ball like that with a runner scoring position no outs get them over to third absolutely in the nationals case when you have bats like a thames kendrick hopefully Juan soto back all you need is a ball in the outfield and that's a run scored and that's what i'm saying kind of too where that it's advantage to the away team or whoever's batting first is because if if you if you do that, you're already up on nothing, and then that puts a lot of pressure on whoever's the home team to at least tie the game. Uh, you know, I think it's harder to get out of the inning unscathed than it is 
to score first. I think it's easier for the, the, the visiting team to score first uh, in that situation. It worked out perfect for the yeah. Nats on Wednesday because uh, they were the away team. So and, and they so so Carter Keboom was the first person at bat. So Bonifacio was at second, okay. and Carter Keboom drew a walk. Speaking of Carter Keboom, we'll get to him a little bit later too. I mean, he looked really good the last couple of days against the Blue Jays. All right, um, one more uh, little the seven inning doubleheaders. That's think official, right? We're going to see that on Sunday, the first seven-inning doubleheaders. Yep. That is something that I think really favors the Nationals because you look at their starting pitchers. If you get a doubleheader, excuse me, and you've got Max Scherzer going in one of those, he can pretty much pitch a complete game. Right. You know, I mean, it's going to be seven innings, not a full nine, but we saw him go into the eighth in his last outing. Now, he had a long leash because the Nationals knew they were going to be off this week. He's going to get seven days off pretty much between starts so he could rest up. Mm -hmm. But as he builds up his arm throughout the season, if the Nationals, and hopefully they don't have any doubleheaders because, one, that's a pain for us to work, and, two, that probably (laughs) means something. I should flip those. One, because it means someone got coronavirus, and, two, it means it's a pain for us to work. But you you get my point. Uh, I think that favors the Nationals with their starting pitchers because they traditionally pitch deep into games – and in a seven-inning game, they theoretically could finish the game every time out. I would love to see that. Save their bullpen, right? Yeah. Not that the bullpen hasn't let us down. You know, they've proven themselves so far this season. Um, but, you know, save that. They obviously have a great rotation. If we can put it in their hands and they can score runs, then that will definitely benefit the Nats. But hopefully we don't have to see that Yeah, hopefully, too often. <laughs> right. Hopefully that means everyone's staying safe. And yeah. there's no rain. I mean, hopefully the That's rain. True. That's true. Oh, yeah, we be, we something else playing. that could possibly affect me. You 100% will be playing a doubleheader this weekend if they were playing because of all the all the rain all yep. the rain this weekend. All right, let's get to some reactions, uh, actual baseball statistics and stuff moving into this weekend after one week of Nationals games, seven games. Um, are you more concerned for the Nats' lack of scoring or the high number of homers that they've allowed? Absolutely, their lack of scoring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, for two reasons. One, because the Nats obviously have – one of the best, if not the best, rotation in baseball, right? If we're still having the same conversation three or four starts in, then it's a different story. But they're not in full season form. They're getting up there. They're giving up home runs early. Okay. And two, because look at who they've given up home runs against, right? The Yankees in Toronto. Yeah. Yankees had, what, over 300 home <laughs> yeah. runs last year? Like I believe they, they have 250 some, came against the Orioles. Yes. They have uh, um, some power in that lineup. Yeah. Uh, so that's not a concern. And you have to score runs to win games. Yeah. Like, this reminds me of, like, we talked about this so much in the postseason last year in the World Series, those home games. We were talking about, like, when they sent Joe Ross out there, when Scherzer got scratched, it was like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. He kept them in the game, yeah. but they couldn't give him any run support. Yeah. You can't win games if you don't score runs. So they have to do that. That's absolutely my bigger concern. How yeah. about you? No, I agree. I think that especially, you know, it's D.C. in late July – early August, the ball's going to fly. I mean, that just happens this time of year uh, in this area and across Major League Baseball when the weather is warmer, balls fly out of the park. And then you also look at, you mentioned the pitching staff. I don't really blame them, and Max has gone on record saying this too. The way that they pitch is prone to the long ball. I mean, power pitchers are prone to giving up home runs. That's just the way it is. Um, And Max has always said, I would rather give up a home run than a walk. Uh, So, you know, as long as – and we also saw that game that they lost to the Blue Jays. I mean, they gave up four solo home runs. I think the Nationals could live with that. Like you said, they ex- probably expect to score more than four runs a night. Um, 
And if they're all solo shots, I think you can live with that because they're not adding extra runs with runners on base. Exactly. Um, I think that's something that David Martinez would be comfortable with, with their pitching staff and with the lineup that they anticipate to have that should be producing more. Um, I think it's just more of a concern. Obviously, this is a different animal, but it just seems like another slow start for the offense to a season, different season, obviously. But we've seen this last year, of course. We saw it in 2018. It's just been kind of the same old story where this team doesn't get started. Well, another thing, too, is that this team, we always felt like this team doesn't really get going until the weather gets warm. Right. Well, the weather's already warm. It's warm. So you got to go. <laughs> season started. Now, whether you have four days off or not, we need to score some runs and um, play some baseball to win some games. Um, all right. So, will the lineup continue to struggle to score uh, without Juan Soto, or will Juan Soto be the saving grace? Excuse me, with Juan Soto, or will Juan Soto be the, be the saving grace? Well, I think it depends on when we see him come back. Yeah. Right? If we, they have this weekend off, we see him come back in their next series. Is that possible? Is that 10? Yeah. Yeah, I think so we're, we're anticipating him returning to inter-squad workouts tomorrow. Okay, well, then there you he go. He should be. He could be the saving grace, right? You get him back. You have Howie healthy. Carter still, you know, hitting the ball. You could have a lineup there. So I think maybe he will be the saving grace. Maybe he'll get things started for this team. What do you think? I don't um, I think it uh, definitely helps. I think Howie's in there, too. Um, helps. I mean, we've seen it depends. And we're going to get to Starling Castro and Carter Keebum a little bit later. But I like what I saw the last couple of games. I mean, how can you not like a four for five game from Castro and Carter Keebum going two for two with two walks? Uh, I think obviously wants to he's their best player. You know, he's their best pure hitter in this lineup. They need him in this lineup in that four spot because Davey Martinez loves going Turner. Eaton, mm -hmm. Castro, if it was Rendon, now it's Castro, Soto, Kendrick, Thames. I mean, he loves going right, left, right, left. It really it makes it really hard for the opposing team to kind of counteract that with, uh, with pitching and working matchups. Um, and then Astrubal Cabrera is a switch hitter that helps a lot. I think Juan Soto brings some normalcy to the lineup. I mean, it's hard to tell. I, I don't – I would anticipate – you know, also this poor guy – you get three months off, you report to summer camp, you're delayed your start to summer camp, you get a week in, and then you get shut down again. And then on top of that, you know, it's not like he's returning on Saturday to play a game. He has to wait three more days before the Nationals actually play a game because of the postponements. I, I don't think anyone could blame him if he had a slow start, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he just came out swinging and right. like, started carrying this team on his back and, and producing all the offense. Like, when is the last time that poor boy saw live pitching? Against the Orioles at one of those exhibition right. games before opening day. You know, I'd, I so don't that, know. At Maybe. that point, that'll be two weeks. Right. Um, you know, hopefully if he gets the clear, if he gets clearance by the city of D.C. this weekend, he'll see some live pitching in their inter-squad games on Saturday and Sunday, but it's not the same as, not the same. as opposed to, like, preparing for, I don't know what DeGrom said, but, like, a Jacob DeGrom next week. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he reacts to if and when he returns. Um, we kind of touched on the long ball already. Will this be their doom? I don't think it's going to be their doom. I think we both agree that scoring is more of a concern than giving up home runs. Um, but it is, it, I think it's also more that they're giving up home runs in their home ballpark. Right. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect that. Like I said, weather in D.C. at this time is prone to the long ball. But I think that – I think it's more interesting that they haven't left – their home ballpark yet. Right. You know, they're not going to. The Mets are coming to D.C. next week. 
And then after that, I think they go to Baltimore, which is just 30 minutes up the road. So they're not leaving the DMV. Like the Yankees haven't been home. Right. Oh, neither the Marlins. Yeah. So, so I think that's more concerning than giving up home runs. We'll see how that changes if and when they are able to go to a different ballpark. Um, sticking with the pitchers, is this an overreaction? Because I, I know what I'm going to say. Is every start by the big three, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, a must win this season? Yes? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Remember, Absolutely. it's a speaking platform. Oh, um, I think so, maybe, because... Uh, <laughs> no, I just nod. People are watching on Mass and National's Facebook page and YouTube. But um, <laughs> also listening. There's a drop-off, and we're going yeah. to get that. We're going we're gonna to get to that, and we're going to get to that number five guy. Um, but they have to. They they need... I mean, when they're going... Well, they have to score runs for them. That's yeah. the end of the story. Well, that's my kind of point. It's like, yeah. like, like on Sunday, Patrick Corbin, six really good innings against the Yankees. Right. You need to score runs and win that game for him. Uh, Max Scherzer... <laughs> striking out 10 and giving up no runs into the eighth inning against a, a rebuilding Blue Jays team, you have to score runs off a rookie pitcher. Anytime you leave runners in scoring position, it hurts. I know Davey Martinez is in there like, oh, my it's gosh. He's going to pull his but hair out. It doesn't really happen. Max Scherzer on the mound or you have Patrick Corbin on the mound, you can't – you have to score runs. Yeah. You know, you can't waste those starts, especially in a 60-game season. Yeah. You can't waste those starts. So. Yeah, I mean, I think – yeah, in a 60-game season, you anticipate they'll – well, Strasburg has already missed one, but you'll miss that – you'll think that they each get ten, 12 starts. Max already has two. He only has right. 10 left. Uh, Strasburg might only get 11. Corbin already has one down. He's only got 11 left. So that's more than half your games. I mean, if you add them all up, 36 games between those three guys that they start, you need to win a majority of those games, I feel like. Because like you mentioned, I mean, Anibal, I think you'll get really good Anibal every now and then, and then you'll get what and we I sh- saw. I shouldn't say there's a big drop-off because – He's proven that yeah, this is a, a four-man rotation, right? Yeah. But, yeah, again, you see really good outings from him, and then... Yeah, he's just great. not as consistent as the other guys, and that's no fault of his own. Which just yeah. where he is in his career, uh, and, and credit to him, he's, he's evolved himself into a different pitcher to be able to pitch at a high level continually. But, like, he's... he's it is a big four, you're right. I don't want to give him disservice, but there is really good Anibal, like we saw in... Game two, uh, game one of the NLCS last year, and then there's just kind of like average Johnny Ball, which we saw in his season debut. I mean, it's not nothing's bad or really good. I mean, it's of just course. it's just right. who he is. So I don't think you can absolutely count on winning every single game. I think you can count on Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin giving you really solid. solid outings every single time and giving you a really good chance to win. And those are the ones you have to take advantage of because you don't know what you're gonna get from Johnny Ball on day four. You don't know what you can get from either both are fed on day, on day five. Um, so I think that there's an extra emphasis on the games where you would figure that you have the best guy on the mound. Your, your guy's better than their guy, um, right. and you should take advantage of that. Speaking of both and Fetty, it's a short sample size, I know, but I'm on team both right now. I think he should be the fifth starter. What do you say? What say you? Everything that we've, we've seen from him, Stuff, everything that we saw from him last season, he absolutely gets the nod over Fetty for me. We know going into this, it was a race between Fetty, both, and Joe Ross. Obviously, Joe Ross opting out of the season. Um, so so it's it's both for me right now. Yeah, I think also looking at their number, I, I, t- I go back to last season, like you mentioned. End of last season, we saw Fetty more out of the bullpen and both making more starts. I think that's what they envisioned. And I know Davey is non-committal. Mike Rizzo is non-committal. Um, even though they've played, 
both in the starting position. The only reason we've seen Eric Fetty start is because Steven Strasburg is not ready to start. Um, but I, I think that just the way that they're preparing themselves, the way that we've seen them perform, Vogt looks more prepared to take that position, and Fetty looks like he's more comfortable coming out of the bullpen for not just short spurts, but longer periods of time. You know, he can go two or three innings out of the bullpen um, and, and be fine because right. he has a background of a starter mentality. I think Voth is more locked in, and we've seen better stuff from him in terms of a starter. I think Fetty's only gone a handful of innings each of his starts. He went four against the Yankees, into the fourth against the Jays, but didn't finish the uh, the fourth inning. And then Voth went five, five right. pretty strong, and gave up only two earned runs uh, against the Blue Jays in his first start, but he did go with the two home runs. Um, so it's give and take, but I think both should be solidified in the fifth starter for right now. And I, d- I think that's just exactly what it comes down to. He can go deeper yeah. in games, and that's obviously what you need from a starter. Um, I think, you know, keeping, moving once they can, moving Fetty to the bullpen and keeping him there will do him a great service. Um, that'll definitely be his strength. I mean, both in 2018, 2019, excuse me, eight starts allowed two or fewer in six out of those eight starts. Yeah. So, you know, his velocity keeps going up. Mm-hmm. We've seen good stuff from him. I think he definitely uh, deserves that. I think his track record shows better. I mean, I know Eric Fetty came into the system as a high-touted prospect mm-hmm. of a starting pitcher, but I think both – it is shorter, but I think his track record shows a little better as a starter than, than Fetty's. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we touched on Castro and Kibum a little bit already, so uh, I think we both kind of anticipate Castro. I think he can solidify himself as a three-hitter for now. Let's not fully judge him until he gets Juan Soto back there protecting him and Howie Kendrick protecting him. Um, I think that'll be fair. But, you know, a four-hit day yesterday, uh, he had himself a really good day. And then Carter Cubum seems to be getting better. I think he seems more comfortable and patient at the plate, drawing his walks, going two for two, and he's playing improved defense as well. Which is great to see because, you know, they were so worried. The Nationals were so worried about committing to their future third baseman, right? They said, Carter Keeboom is going to be our third baseman. Carter Keeboom is going to be our third baseman. We were so worried about filling that spot at third base after Rendon left. The kind of filling that three-hole got lost, right? And now we're realizing just how important that is. They found that in Starling Castro, but it's great to see Carter Keeboom putting up just as good offensive numbers. And it, it's so important for a young guy like that to build his confidence, right? If he came came out this season and was playing horrible ball, that completely, yeah. you know, he loses his confidence. Not great for his, his career. So I'm glad to see him, him coming up and hitting the ball and playing great defensively. Yeah, and I think I was definitely in the camp of concern um, in summer camp. I, I didn't like what I saw a couple of exhibition games and the inter-squad games making a couple of errors, especially in the field, uh, striking out. Uh, but we've seen him calm down a lot. Um, and, and I like Alex, Alex Chappell and I talked about this last night on our Mass and All Access Extra after the game. You know, he looks more comfortable in the field. And I think the, the analytical side of Davey Martinez's managerial style is helping him in, in terms of shifting. He's a natural shortstop. So when he moves over in a shift to that position, he feels comfortable. He feels a little more comfortable. He can cover second base if needed. Um, I think they even moved him to the other side of second base. Uh, to cover over there. He, we know he has had time uh, playing second base briefly mm-hmm. uh, when they thought that Anthony Rendon would be the long-term third baseman. So it seems like he's kind of getting his feet wet and feeling way more comfortable on the field, which I think and then in turn makes him more comfortable at the plate. I think drawing the walks is key. He has as many walks as strikeouts in, a, in only a few outings, but three apiece, I think that's helping a lot, and it's really telling of his patience up there 
and then also going two for two uh, with a couple base hits in some key spots as well. I think is trying, and then also you know he reached sec- base his reached base six straight times since the end of Wednesday through yesterday's game. That's really awesome to see. Um, I think he's kind of settling in now. Let's get into it. the final topic though. How will this long weekend for the Nationals affect everyone? Will this throw off Keyboom's rhythm? Will this throw off Castro's rhythm? Do you think that this weekend helps or hurts the Nationals? I think it does both. Um, obviously, breaking up that consistency for hitters is not a good thing, especially when this lineup needs to get going. Um, you know, Keyboom, he's finally getting, you know, getting co- some consistent hits, and now he's not going to see live pitching for, you know, however many days. And you just can't simulate that in-game real pitching. So I think that's going to – I think that's definitely going to hurt their hitters. However – it gives them a chance to reset their rotation, gives them a chance to maybe get Howie back, to get Juan back, um, which will help their lineup. So I, I think it does both. Hopefully we see it see it help uh, yeah. when they come back out. What do you think? I think it's going to help. I'm, I'm going to stand on that side of, uh, of the reaction. I think that you're right. There's Baseball is such a sport of rhythm and timing. Um, so even a single day off can throw that off for a player, uh, nonetheless four. But I think from where the Nationals are at this point, they don't have Strasburg. Howie Kendrick was scratched from the lineup and hasn't played since. Uh, they still don't have Juan Soto. I think you get this allows you time to without because they can't go into this weekend um, playing the Mar. You can't go into this weekend and lose two out of three to the Marlins, right? You know, coronavirus or not, like they're a team that you need to beat. And with had Max having just gone uh, the other day. I'd, he maybe would have been lined up to pitch Sunday, but, you know, you would have Corbin out there and then probably Anibal. You, you can't afford to lose those games. Like we mentioned with Corbin starting one of them, and if you get a good Anibal Sanchez starting one of those games, you can't afford to lose those games. I think this helps them. They get Juan back, hopefully, in the lineup. Regardless of how he plays, I think him just being there helps. Mm-hmm. That helps Castro um, and, and Turner and Eaton up top of the lineup because – the pitcher has to think about him and, and, and pitch around that. Um, and then also that helps then with Howie Kendrick back, that helps Eric Thames. Um, I, I think that just has a ripple effect across the lineup and then adding Strasburg to the rotation. You mentioned resetting the rotation. If you go into next week's Mets series and you're going Scherzer, Strasburg, 1-2 against, again, I'm not quite sure what DeGrom's status is, but against possibly a Jacob DeGrom or a power-hitting lineup like the Mets have, and you take two out of those two, you sweep them, that's a really good start to the week, and then I think they welcome the Baltimore Orioles next weekend, mm-hmm. and that's another team that they should pounce on and beat up pretty well. Unfortunately, I think this isn't going to be the only time we talk about this no. the whole season. It's not going to be the only series that they miss. Um, so we're going to see this a lot more, and we're going to see we're going to it's going to pan out. We're going to see how it affects them. We're going to see how you know this weekend does for them, and you know hopefully it's as limited on these postponed games as it can be. But I think we have a feeling we're going to see it a lot more. Yep. Well, however the season shapes up, we'll be there the entire way. You can check out the Mass and All Access podcast every week on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel, and also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Thanks for subscribing and listening, and make sure you give Amy Jennings a follow on Twitter, at Amy Jennings News. She'll be hosting with me throughout the rest of the season and into the off-season on the Mass and All Access podcast. We'll be covering it from all angles. All angles, excuse me, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco and catch me on the Mass on All Access Extra shows after every Nationals game with Alex Chappell recapping the whole game every single night. Amy, thanks so much for joining me. Looking forward to the season. Looking forward to all the podcasts we have coming up. Um, and thanks so much. 
Absolutely. All right. Oh, coming up next, I chatted with Mark Zuckerman about all the schedule changing and how it affects the Nationals moving forward. Well, in times of chaos and confusion surrounding baseball, I always turn to Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I trust him more than anyone else to kind of set the record straight and settle everything down. Mark, it's been a hectic first week of baseball. We know that much. And then it even got even crazier this morning with the news that two Cardinals players tested positive before they start a series up in Milwaukee. What can you say about this first week in terms of everything from uh, the Miami Marlins outbreak and now it's spreading over to seem like the Central Divisions? First of all, you're giving me way too much credit, Bobby. I, I do not deserve that kind of uh, that, that weight uh, placed on me. But um, look, I, obviously, it's all disappointing, the news that we've heard. But I don't think you can honestly say that any of it is all that surprising. I think we knew that something like this was was going to happen eventually. I think as well as things went in the uh, summer camps and the exhibition season, I think we all knew that you couldn't really say that this thing was foolproof until they started the season and teams start traveling around. Uh, and that, uh, you know, creates a whole new element to this, um, you know, and really the most dangerous one out there where you now have guys, big groups of guys going to different cities and crisscrossing and sharing ballparks and clubhouses and things like that. So I can't say that it was hugely surprising. I think it is disappointing, especially in the Marlins case, how haphazard it seemed to be. I mean, they knew for sure that they had four positive tests on Sunday. They voted to play against the Phillies. I don't, I still don't understand why MLB allowed that to be the determining factor that they didn't step in and call that game off. And, you know, we don't know if that then created the domino effect that, you know, maybe the other positive tests still would have happened even if they didn't play. But that was concerning. With today's news with the Cardinals, it, it's worrisome just because you're talking about a whole nother division. There's no crossover here with the Marlins. You're talking about only uh, central division teams that are now affected by this. But I guess the encouraging part of it is that MLB did jump in right away. The Cardinals, it seems like, did everything they're supposed to do when this happens. They isolated everyone. They're staying in their hotel in Milwaukee. They called off tonight's game. Uh, and now they're going to wait and see. Uh as they move forward, do all the contract tracing, everything else, and hopefully play before the weekend is up. So hopefully this one was managed a little bit better and that will contain it. But if anyone thought we were going to make it through this season without positive tests or without games having to be postponed, you know, I've got some news for you. That was never going to be the case. I think the question as we've all had all along is what are they willing to play through? What are they willing to postpone games for? Then ultimately what would have to happen for them to shut everything down? Thankfully, we haven't reached that point yet. Right, and uh, you and I, for all our conversations we've had throughout the shutdown, we've always been saying it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and here we are the first week of the season. The Miami Marlins outbreak, Mark, to me is like we can kind of question how, not question, I think we all kind of know how they contracted the virus and the outbreak spread throughout their uh, their team, and um, that's you know that's their own choice. But you're right, the decision to for them to play on Sunday in Philadelphia that just puts a whole other team. Not to mention City. I'm not really well versed on how Philadelphia has been handling all this and how their numbers look as a city. But they put other people at risk by deciding to play when you already knew that you had uh, players test positive. Um, and then also to your point, I think you're right. To me, when this whole thing broke down with the Marlins, you know, at least I always thought it was gonna always gonna be the East Coast teams. You know, I, I think that the East Coast has been 
a little higher in case numbers. California is its own kind of thing. I don't know, obviously Texas, but we have Florida, and of course it was Miami. Of course it was a Florida team that had an outbreak. Uh, but that aside, and I think just the proximity of all the cities and all the teams here. You have DC and Baltimore here locally for us, and then just a couple hours up the road is Philadelphia. A couple more hours is two cities, uh, two teams in New York, Boston, and then obviously the two teams in Florida and Atlanta. Uh, you know, I just think that the, they're so close together, it's hard not to spread this kind of virus. And then you also see, well, there was a plan for maybe the Phillies to come, uh, or the Marlins, excuse me, come to Baltimore to play. And it seemed like the state of Maryland shut that down and was like, no, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want uh, any team with that kind of uh, outbreak in our state. We've worked hard to get our numbers down. And then to me, it was always going to be also, like you mentioned, the spread to other or other divisions. Uh, now it's in the Midwest. And how long is it going to take before it reaches to the West Coast? And this is a full-on outbreak, not just through a couple of teams, but throughout the whole sport. Um, where do we go from here, Mark? Where does baseball go from here? Uh, I, I think you're right. They, um, well, it's almost like MLB learned by trial and error. They didn't step in with the Marlins last weekend. They had to step in with the Cardinals this morning and shut everything down. But it seems like only two players... They're doing rapid testing throughout today, and hopefully tomorrow they'll be ready to go and play their scheduled game, a doubleheader on Sunday. But how else can baseball seem to kind of get a hold of this thing, or can they at all? Well, it, I don't think they can ever get a complete hold of it. Um, you know, I do think, obviously, as bad as it looked from a public standpoint, what happened with the Marlins, hopefully that did teach everyone some lessons. And now they have a better understanding of how to implement it when it happens again, as it did uh, today. Now, we still don't know. It's too early to know, you know, did they contain it to the two players with the Cardinals or did, will it go beyond that? Will it affect any other teams? Um, but you, you hope that they have a little better sense. And it is unfortunately going to be a little bit of trial and error as they navigate their way through this. Let's remember, you can plan everything you want. You can put all the protocols you want in place, but until it actually happens, there. There's no past experience with this. There's no way to, uh, to, to completely eradicate it or to know that you have a, a foolproof system in place before it happens. So you have to see what happens when it happens and how they react to it. So hopefully they get better with each case and hopefully it never grows to be significant enough that they have to do any kind of widespread um, you know, shutdown of things. But you know, I would say, I understand why when this, these things come out, when the news gets out, what the natural reaction to that is going to be. And there's a little bit of hysteria going on. And I'm not saying it's it's not qualified. But I think we also need to take some deep breaths every time this happens. Uh, let's stop and consider what's actually happened. Let's give it you know, 24 hours and see uh, how much it's spread, if it has at all. Um, you know, I think just immediately calling for everything to be shut down, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's going to happen. They've invested too much in all of this uh, to just give up like that. Now, you hope that nothing ever gets to be serious enough that they do have to, to consider those things. Um, but I, I think as long as they have a decent plan in place and it really it, it depends on everybody involved. And it starts at the top with the commissioner's office, down to the teams, down to the clubhouses, the players, the support staff. Everybody's got to be all in on this and follow along with what needs to be done. Uh, in order to try to get this accomplished. And there are going to be some positive cases, as we know. We you hope that nobody gets seriously ill. Um, but I, I think it would be rash, at least based on what's happened so far, I think it would be rash to say, oh, well, this is clearly it. They're never going to be able to play this season. Let's shut it all down.
Right. And but just to play devil's advocate, Mark, I mean, I, I kind of harp back to the discussions we had for months, the, that we being be it baseball and, and the players and the owners and how much they argued over payment for this season. And then, of course, we have players like Sean Doolittle on the Nationals coming out and being like, hey, what about the health and safety protocols? Like we never completed that. And then we get this 100-page manual. And then the first week, even the first day, it's all kind of thrown up in the air. We saw what happened with Juan Soto. Where Speculation now is that it was a false positive, but he still hasn't been able to join the team. We're hopefully seeing him this weekend. And we'll touch on that a little bit later in the, in the conversation. And then also with the Miami Marlins, you know, this they took a player vote and decided to keep playing. How come no one stepped in right away? It, I understand your point of being like, well, we learn now. Now they're doing better. But it should never have come to that point in the first place in my mind. And then you look at around the country and other uh, – actually around the continent, I guess I should say, um, and other sports. NBA seems to be doing fine. They got their season underway last night. No positive tests and their first two rounds of testing. And they even have reported players breaking their curfew or their place in order. Uh, NHL is about to get underway in, in Canada, and they seem to be doing all right. Football training camps are at the start. We'll see what happens there. But it just seems like baseball is in uh, the worst place out of all of the major sports right now. It is, and you're right about all of that, but a few other points that I'd make here. And, and, you know, we knew this from the outset that baseball being first could be both a blessing and a curse, that they had an opportunity to start up first, get the attention and, uh, you know, maybe show people how this can be done. But we also knew that if it didn't go right, they're going to take a whole lot of heat before the other sports have even started up. So we've already seen a little bit of that. The other thing I'd say, though, is, with regards to the NBA and the NHL, they just started. Let's see now what happens from here. The other part of that is for all the people out there saying, see, MLB should have just done a bubble like the NBA and the NHL did. Obviously, that's the ideal scenario if you're going to try to do this. It makes much more sense from a safety standpoint. But you cannot compare what MLB is trying to do to play this season with what the NBA and the NHL are trying to do. And the reason is, those sports have almost completed their regular seasons already. They aren't including all, you know, their entire league. They're only including the teams that are in their races. And on top of that, they don't play every day. They only play every other day or every three days, where in baseball, you have to play every day. So to have a bubble work in baseball, you need one or two locations that can host 15 games a day, every day. Where were the places to do that? Arizona. Turns out that would have been a horrible idea if they went to Arizona right. and Florida. That would have been a horrible idea and a terrible place to put this. So um, it was always a bigger challenge for baseball than it was for those other sports because they're trying to play an entire season with every team involved and play every day. And so, you know, maybe it's not possible. We'll find out. Maybe it's not doable. But uh, I don't love the comparisons to the NBA and the NHL because I don't think it's apples to apples. I think it is a, a very different situation. Great insight, and this is why I love having you on the podcast, Mark. And uh, I told you from the top of the show that, uh, or from the top of the interview, I should say, that I trust your opinion on things. Let's before we get to actual baseball for the national side. Let's see how they have this affected them. We know that they're off this weekend. Um, they're pretty much off all day today, Friday. Davey Martinez gave the players the day off. He wants them to kind of reset and clear their minds. Back at inter-squad games on Saturday and Sunday, which will be open to the media, and then media closed workouts on Monday before they get back to playing the Mets on Tuesday night. How does this schedule change affect the Nationals moving forward? 
Well, I think for a handful of guys, it could not be the worst thing because maybe they could take a little time off. They've been going pretty hard for the first week, uh, especially members of their bullpen, their pitching staff. We, we're, I know we're going to get to that at some point here. Um, but in the in the broader sense, it's never good to have to take four days in a row off. Baseball's not designed that way. I was just talking about how they play every single day. Guys get into a rhythm. They're used to that. Uh, and especially for someone like Starlin Castro, who had a great day at the plate yesterday. Now all of a sudden you tell him, oh, sorry, you got to take four days off. And now you got to find your swing again. Um, so I think for a lot of teams, you know, the teams don't love the all-star break. Maybe they need like a physical, you know, few days off uh, just because they're worn down after playing for three months. You certainly don't need it after one week of games. Uh, so they're going to do what they can to try to stay in shape uh, over the weekend, but there's only so much you can do. And I'll be curious to see what it looks like when they come back. And, you know, it, it's all of these things are further evidence that, um, you know, the competitive integrity of this season is not what we're going to be used to. There are going to be teams that don't play 60 games. There are going to be teams that have breaks in the middle of it like this. Um, the scheduling, of course, is very weird. So I really am not looking at the results of this season the way I normally would. And to me, this season is all about can they play a full season, as many games as possible, and keep everybody healthy? and safe. And if they can do that, then I think it can be considered a success. Um, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I think we have to set the bar a little lower here and recognize that, um, you know, this is not going to be the kind of fair and competitive season you would normally have over 162 games. Well, you mentioned the pitching staff and uh, obviously we've seen Max Scherzer go to strong starts already to start the sung season. It's crazy to think that he only is going to have 10 more starts to the left. Uh, we figure each starting pitcher is going to get 12 starts in a 60-game season. He's already got two under his belt. Uh, Patrick Corbin made a really strong season debut on Sunday against the Yankees. Two, uh, it was unfortunate the Nationals couldn't pull up that W. Um, and, of course, we're still awaiting Steven Strasburg's debut next week. We'll get to Strasburg in a minute, but the bullpen mark has been a question mark. The only real bright spot, someone who has really shined, shined throughout this first week, is Tanner Rainey. Other than that, there's been some question marks from guys who the Nationals figured that they would have to count on a lot this season, like Sean Doolittle, like Will Harris, um, and, and Daniel Hudson. Yeah, so the funny thing is, is that they've got a sub-one ERA as a group <laughs> right thought? now. So compared to where they were last year, we should be rejoicing over the way this bullpen's performed. But what's interesting is, like you said, it's not necessarily the guys um, that they expected. Uh, some newcomers like Ryan Harper, has been fantastic. Sam Freeman has been good for them so far. Um, he's relied a lot on Tanner Rainey five times in the last six days, which is a whole lot of usage any time of year, let alone in the first week before guys are in a rhythm. Uh, and then Daniel Hudson had the great job getting out of that jam with some help from Trey Turner the other night and then came back and pitched the next day after going one and two thirds the previous night. So those are the kind of moves that you wouldn't normally expect in, you know, let's call this April because it's the equivalent of April, but a couple reasons for that. Number one, they knew they had the days off coming up. So I think Davey felt comfortable pushing them a little bit. Uh, number two, you got to try to win every game you can this year. You can't say, well, we'll save them for tomorrow. Uh, so there is more pressure for that. But number three, and I think this is the bigger concern long-term is it seemed clear to me. And I think we were proven right about that yesterday, that something's not right with Sean Doolittle and with Will Harris because they had not pitched in a couple days. That game was screaming for them for at least one, if not both of them, to pitch the eighth and ninth innings, and neither one did. So as we found out today, Will Harris has gone on the injured list with a strained right groin. 
that's disappointing. He hasn't looked great his first couple times out. Uh, and he also dealt with an abdominal strain in uh, spring training way back when. So that's a little concerning that these things are happening to a 35-year-old who's been really good for the last five years with the Astros. Um, but anytime you give a three-year contract to a veteran reliever, there is some risk involved there. You hope that it's nothing that serious, um, but at least for now, he's out of commission. And in Doolittle's case, um, one outing looked pretty good. Then the next one, uh, fastball was back down in the 88, 89 range. And um, that's a little bit concerning. He's working on his mechanics. Uh, you know, he says that physically he's fine. Uh, I think there's a lot of tinkering going on here. Last year was a weird year for him. He had to adjust on the fly to a lot of things. He wound up pitching great in October. Uh, but this spring, he was he was trying to uh, you know redo a few things, try to fix his mechanics uh, to keep himself healthy and also more effective. So we'll see. Um, you know, he, he is on the active roster. You would hope they'd get him back in there as soon as they can. Uh, but at the moment, I think it's pretty clear that the guys that Davey trusts late in games right now are Tanner Rainey and Daniel Hudson, uh, and Sean Doolittle is going to have to re-earn that trust. Right, and you also, I saw yesterday after the Nationals beat the Blue Jays in, in their week finale, a lot of you guys, including yourself, reported that Sean Doolittle was in the bullpen before the storm rolled in at Nationals Park working on some things, so hopefully the time off allows him to get reset and ready for the rest of the season. Um, Mark, we also have some questions. I know everyone wants to know about the latest on Juan Soto, Steven Strasburg. There's probably not much to update there because we're not going to talk to Davey Martinez today. We'll have to wait till tomorrow. But from my count, and I could be completely wrong because it's a very confusing situation, but from what I understand, we should expect Juan Soto to be able to join his teammates tomorrow in the intra-squad game, and Steven Strasburg should be able to line up to start one of the games against the Mets next week? Yes, on Soto. Uh, the expectation is that he's going to be cleared by the D.C. Department of Health tomorrow. Uh, keep in mind here that even though MLB, uh, in their mind, he's satisfied the protocols by having back-to-back -back negative tests, uh, the D.C. government and the health department does supersede it, and they have a 10-day quarantine period for anyone who tests positive. And though even, even though the nationals in the city have tried to work out some exemptions and things that allow them to, hold, to, to not have to adhere to every single uh, requirement for them, uh, in this case, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he does have to wait the 10 days. Thankfully, tomorrow's the 10th day. And this could be one where the weekend off actually helps him. Uh, instead of having to throw him right into the lineup, he can now have a few days, some inter-squad games, a chance to kind of get his feet under him again. Remember, he missed most of camp, so he really has barely played at all. He's so important to the team. Obviously, they need him, but uh, you want him to be right. You don't want him to go out there and, and play at 100% and then hurt something else because he wasn't physically ready for this yet. So at least a couple of days will help him get ready. And Strasburg's case is a little more murky. Uh, He's been throwing off flat ground. If everything went well, he's supposed to throw off a bullpen mound uh, over the weekend. The question then is, would he need to face live hitters or not before he starts a game? And Davey said yesterday, not necessarily. It's going to kind of depend on what Steven feels and what he's able to do over the weekend. The sense I get is that they're being really cautious with him and that even though it's a short season, they don't want to do anything to rush him back and then cause a larger injury. Strasburg talked about this himself. He also, I, I thought it was really telling. It was a question I asked him last week. It was in fact a day now, Saturday, when he was scratched. Uh, and I said, like, do you have to fight the urge to try to come back quickly because it is such a short season? 
And he said, uh, you know, to be honest with you, this season's kind of a mess anyways, and I've got to think about the long term here. And my ears perked up like, whoa, that says to me that he's may not be 100% fully invested in this season. Again, that's his prerogative. There's nothing wrong. I completely understand why he would feel that way after signing a huge contract. So I sense that they're going to err more on the side of caution with him than try to rush him back. Maybe he does pitch this week against the Mets, but um, I think there, people should be prepared for the possibility that it takes longer than that. Yeah, I don't think you can blame either Strasburg or the Nationals for being careful with him, especially with his injury history and, like you said, the contract he signed this offseason. Mark, some quick hits right here. What are your other baseball takeaways from the last week? Uh, Starling Castro had a good finish to the week. Carter Keeboom had a really good last couple of games against the Blue Jays. Any other takeaways on the field that you saw from uh, this first week of baseball? Those two guys, definitely, and, and they're needed. Uh, with Soto out, with Howie Kendrick, we haven't talked about him having True. an upper back issue, and he's been out for a couple of days. Uh, they've needed those other guys to step up, and it was good to see Castro. Kibum, especially to see the patience at the plate. Um, he's reached base six straight times, but three of those are walks. He's really working the count. Uh, that's a great sign for a young player, and he's looked pretty good in the field. Not a ton of chances, but he's looked pretty good there so far. Uh, so that's a nice, encouraging development for sure uh eric thames hadn't gotten off to the best start he had a good at bat yesterday to drive in um some runs eaton has looked pretty good i think robles is still trying to uh you know figure everything out himself um they're gonna hit uh, you know the, at the moment the pitching staff's been for the most part great and the the lineup has been the issue i think they are going to hit they clearly missed Juan soto there were so many key at bats late in games this week that you said man if Soto is in that lineup, it changes the complexion of that entire inning. You know, they're playing with Ezreal Cabrera hitting cleanup and uh, Suzuki hitting fifth, things like that. Uh, so, you know, that's going to get better. It, it, it may not be as good a lineup as last year without Rendon and Zimmerman, but um, it will get better, especially with Soto back. The other takeaway I have is, uh, you know, as much as we talked about, oh, they're going to have a 30-man roster and all these different options to, to choose from. You know what's happened? Because they're in, they're playing by American League rules now all the time, they finally used their first pinch hitter late in the game yesterday, in the seventh game of the season. There just haven't been opportunities to do that. And so they have all these guys on the bench. They actually have some, some you know, proven veterans on their bench. They just haven't had opportunities to use them. And I wonder if that's going to be a recurring thing now uh, playing with the DH. I mean, yes, the DH generates more offense, but... I think it maybe doesn't allow for playing matchups as well as, as maybe Davey you know, would have in the past. So we'll see how that plays out. I, I've noticed it. I'm a National League guy. I, I miss it already. Um, but uh, it is noticeable, and, and it makes me wonder if they actually do need the 30-man roster. Yeah, the American League style of baseball is definitely a different breed and something that the Nationals and Davey Martinez aren't quite used to. Uh, in terms of filling out their lineups. Mark, I know it's not the weekend we anticipated. We'd rather be watching baseball, and there are a couple press conferences to cover um, and inter-squad games, but how are you going to spend your time off uh, now that we've kind of got four days off from actual games? <laughs> it's weird. I'm, I, you know, I spent four months with nothing to do. You get yeah. excited. You get to start going to ball games, and you know, the game the other night, the 10-inning game, was just a fantastic game. It was the first time that since you know going back there that I really felt like, man, I really enjoyed this. This was a fun game and so I'm I'm not looking forward to these few days uh, my family's sick of me they don't need to see me anymore uh so we're doing some cleaning around the house I guess maybe I'll uh, watch some other games that are being played yeah 
uh, the weather's not great either. That doesn't help. So no, I, I, I'm ready to get back out there. I'm, I, I, I just started to get into the flow of this. I'm, I wasn't ready for a break just yet. Well, what was the last time you had a weekend off in late July, early August though? Well, that's true. No, that's a, that's a good point. And, but the uh, weather does normal, kind of ruin that. You're right. Yeah. But under normal circumstances, I would love to have a weekend off in late July. Yeah. Right now, I do not. The last thing I need yeah. is a weekend off. Here's the other one for you. And I noticed it today. It's July 31st. We haven't heard one trade rumor. Yeah. How weird is that? It's a week. It's a month from now, though. Yeah. If we if we make it that far. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Well, Mark Zuckerman at Mark Zuckerman on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining me, Mark. And of course, him and Byron Kerr will have coverage from the Mat- Nationals uh, Inter Squad games uh, this weekend on MassInSports.com. Mark, thanks again. All right. Thank you, Bobby.